Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent Bite Size Podcast, 15 to 20 minutes. Just a quick little set of thoughts before another day of play during the Australian Open. We hope you're enjoying these short podcasts on the released on the day of uh, play at the Australian Open. Just a little, a few, little morsel to get you ready for the day of play. And boy, uh, now we get to the weekend and uh, the stakes are higher and we have matchups that really are have the caliber of a major final at the very least a semi-final but they're going to be in the round of 16 and we start with uh naomi osaka against garbina muguruza and also serena williams against arena sabalenka blockbusters worthy of a final uh, but they're in the round of 16 so to help me process and make sense of these matches in-house analyst Mert Ertunga, you can find him on Twitter at Mertov's, the letter T desk, Mertov's T desk. He's also writing at his own site, uh, Mertov's tennis desk. So, um, Mert, welcome before a really big day at the Australian Open. Yes, Matt, and you summarize it very well, very well. It's a, it's a very big day. We've got uh, some, here's the, here's the irony, is that by the time the weekend comes around, you think that with, with, with less matches to play, you know, on just two or three chords, and I'm talking about singles here, that we, that the, the torture of choosing which match to watch that we experience in the first three or four days of the tournament would be gone. And yet here we are, we, the, the day is going to start with Muguruza and Osaka playing at the same time as Shea Suwei and uh, Vondrosova, which is another fascinating matchup. And then, and then after that, we've got, uh, you know, Sabalenka and Williams come in not before 1, 1 p.m. local time at the same time as Oger Aliasim and Karatsev. And then we got Dimitrov and team and so on and so forth. So, yes, it's a, it's a big day indeed. It's a big day. And the you know, Muguruza and Osaka start us off. And so I'm going to get I'm going to ask for your impressions on the match in general. But, the you know, the, the double plot twist we have here, Mert. 11 a.m. match, you know, for a for a show-stopping match, that's almost unheard of for it to be this early. And the other part, in addition to it being 11 a.m. in Melbourne, it's going to be in front of no fans due to the five-day lockdown imposed by the local government. Will will those two dimensions uh, have any effect on the match from what you can discern? And then you can talk about the tactics and the other quote-unquote normal plot points of that match. Yes, uh, Matt, I don't think it will have an effect. Uh, it will have an impact in this case, 11 a.m., because you look at the five matches scheduled on uh, Rod Laver Arena for today, and we, you, you could have said the same thing for any of the five if they were scheduled at 11 a.m. I mean, they're all banner matches, and one of them had to go at 11 a.m. I guess Muguruza and Osaka was picked, and I don't think uh, it matters to the two players because they're going to be playing under the same conditions, no fans. I'm not sure that 11 a.m. or 3 p.m. makes a difference. If there are no fans, you know, it might make a difference to, the, to someone's personal body clock. But uh, in terms of uh, atmosphere, I don't think it's going to make much difference whether you play at 11 a.m. Three, or 3 p.m. Personally, you know, if I were in their shoes, uh, in under these conditions where there are no fans, I'd want to play my match earlier, you know, in the day and not be in this second, third, not before train where I'm not exactly certain what time I'm going to start. So in a sense, Muguruza and Osaka may be better off there uh, playing at 11 a.m. local time. And it's a Saturday, uh, you know, it's a Sunday. So uh, they re- people will still be able to watch on TV, I gather. 
Um, but in terms of just tactics, you know, you're talking about two players that who are in form, and uh, I'm going to personally go with Osaka maybe by 55-45 or 60-40 here, uh, simply because I also picked her, you know, to to win the tournament in our uh, tennis with an accent picks. But uh, it's 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 really it's a very hard pick. A lot is going to going to depend on returns who have been an underrated shot in this tournament so far overall, in my opinion. Returns have de determined the outcomes of a lot of the matches that I've watched. So we're going, it's, I'm going to be curious to see if Osaka can get Muguruza's serves back hard and push, push Muguruza back on the very second shot. And in return, if uh, Muguruza can do the same to Osaka's first serve. So, you know, another thing to watch is First, first serve returns put back in the court, as well as the first serve percentage. So, Mert, if you're Conchita Martinez and you're advising Muguruza how to derail the Naomi Osaka on hardcore train, because, you know, Osaka exists in a particular box. We know this, that uh, while she's weak on clay and, you know, doesn't really have much of a clue on grass, she's the best hardcore player in the world. So, you know, it's not so much Osaka anywhere anytime it's osaka on hard courts that's the puzzle that's very hard to solve so if you're a kachita and you're then you're trying to come up with a plan to get osaka out of rhythm on what is not just her favorite surface but really her only surface how do you go about doing it what what are the building blocks maybe like the two or three bullet points you would give to muguruza before she takes the court against osaka serve into the body uh, get a lot of first serves into the body of Osaka, possibly even a little bit of a slice serve curving into the body from the backhand side is something I'd look for. And during the rallies, hit plenty of balls to the middle of the court and not give Osaka any angles. Osaka, if she's on the move, in other words, just two or three steps to the right or three or four steps to the left and hits a backhand or a forehand from the corner of the court, not so far so far from the outside of the court, but I'm talking just a single slice corner. She's, uh, she's deadly on those shots, uh, you know, and then she can put the ball away and she'll take charge. So I would uh, concentrate on those two, two bullet points and then, and then hope that your player, Muguruza, who's a, who's a wonderful baseliner, can outlast uh, Osaka in some of these baseline rallies also, therefore put Osaka in a situation to where she feels like she has to create uh, an opening and hopefully misses some as a, as the, as the consequence. So what's the, what's the shot Mukuruza has to execute better than any other shot if she wants to maximize her chances of winning? Uh, it, it seems to be that the body serve could be one of those shots, but where would you ultimately come down on that? I would, uh, by, for me, I mean, is, is, in my opinion, that's the, that's the big shot. I don't, uh, I, you know, Muguruza can hit hard shots from, his back, from her backhand as well as her uh, forehand. Uh, and, she, and she doesn't shy away from coming to the net. So it's more of a strategy, general strategy, Matt, over the, uh, the first two or three shots of the rally that she should focus on rather than a single shot. But the response, the clear response for me, to the single shot question is the, is the variety on serve with a lot of serves into the body mixed at different paces. In other words, maybe a hard serve into the body, hard flat, followed by five or 10 miles off, but plenty of spin with the ball curving into the body. 
Okay, one more question on this before we move to Sabalenka, Serena, uh, Mert. Uh, I, I would assume that the conventional wisdom on this Muguruza Osaka match, precisely because Osaka is the best hardcore player in the world until proven otherwise, is that if if one player is going to lose the first set and make a comeback, it's probably Osaka. That her coping skills, not not to diminish Muguruza's, but just Osaka's coping skills when when she's healthy and in her prime, which she is are probably better than anyone else's uh, in hardcore tennis. Uh, if Muguruza loses the first set, how, how you know, is, is the first set amazingly, hugely central to her chances or in a battle of, you know, flamethrowers such as this one, you know, howitzer, ground strokes, massive serves. Do you think that the first set is not all that central to how this is going to go? Yeah, I, I think in the first set is no more central to this match than any other match. I, I think it. I think both players can turn it around, even after losing the first set. To, to, okay. To, you know, as a brief answer to your question. Yeah. Hey, direct and to the point, which is really how most of the points in that match are going to be played. Um, so let's now move to Serena Sabalenka. What would? What is your overview of this match? How you think it sets up? Um, and I think, you know, one thing that tennis fans often look at is, you know, man, uh, this player didn't play really well in the previous match. And that that often leads fans to be pessimistic about their chances. But as we see with Federer, or as we see with lots of older athletes, it's not just tennis players. As you get older, you're just your day to day form is not going to be quite as steady. It doesn't necessarily mean that the previous day's good match is going to carry over and it also means that the previous day's bad match isn't going to carry over so how would you assess uh what you are expecting from serena in this match after her shaky performance in the previous round yeah i'd call the first set maybe moments of the first set shaky against potapova but uh, i think a lot of uh, serena's troubles in the first set had a lot to do with with potapova's game too so I, I, I think Serena is, uh, is seasoned enough to, uh, to, you know, step over that day and, and understand that this is a new day coming and she's got a new challenge coming. And I don't think that will play in, uh, as a factor into this match. I do believe that here we have actually, when you were, you know, describing the Osaka uh, Muguruza match just a second ago, Matt, just before passing on to this one, when you said, you know, hard hitter, flamethrower. I think this is. I thought you were describing this match. This is a. This is actually a more power oriented match, even more than Muguruza Osaka match. And uh, I would, uh, in my opinion, Matt here, and I'm, and I'll, you know, when you say stuff like that, sometimes you end up eating your words. So it might, it might be that I may end up doing that at the end of the day. But I believe here we have two players who, um, who have. Uh, the same set of skills, more or less, with one of them having them all at a little higher level than the other. And uh, in matches, in matchups like this, sometimes uh, a straight set, wide open victory can come along too on the scoreboard. And in my opinion, if Serena has a good start to this match, that's what may happen. You may see uh, uh, unexpectedly routine and when i'm using the word routine in a very light sense here you know the, because i cannot really come up with another one but in a in a, in a serena win in straight sets 
And when people look at the scoreboards, they scoreboard, they may say, okay, she must have won that fairly comfortably. That could happen here. Okay. But, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see, of course. Well, you know, just staying with Serena, we'll talk more about Sabalenka in a bit, Mark, but Serena is underrated even now in terms of her problem solving yes. ability. You yes, know, definitely. she does have the world class serve, she does have the world class ground strokes, but her way to think through problems, you know, finding angles, um, you know, taking some pace off her shots, she has demonstrated throughout her shimmering career an ability to find uh, nuances and third fourth fifth strategies yes. uh to right, win right points and get IQ. through what what net what what now sorry matt i didn't mean to interrupt but i was just saying i was agreeing with you she's got great uh, on-court iq yeah so so my question then becomes what does sabalenka have in her toolbox to counteract uh serena's change of plans or you know if, if serena throws a plan b or a an unexpected uh, curveball at her, at her dessert. It has Sabalenka developed uh, on court a sense of how to adjust, or is this a match where Sabalenka has to win with her plan A, her primary approach? Yes, the answer to that question, in my opinion, is is yes. She has to win with her plan A. Just a second ago, when you mentioned what uh, you know, if Serena throws a plan B or a plan C. To Sabalenka, Serena would only feel the need to do that if she's not doing well in the match. So Sabalenka's plan A has to work to start with. And uh, if it doesn't work and, and she has to look for another plan versus Serena, I think she's in deep trouble. You know, but, and, and Sabalenka is, in, is an informed player. She hits her opponents out of the court and she's, uh, she's won a ton of matches. So she's a very dangerous opponent, and she's got the kind of game that, that you know can can carry her all the way to the to the to the last uh, final match. Uh, the The problem here is if um, if Serena can match her power, and Serena just as you say has you know can throw in different uh, different types of balls too, and gets the best of Sabalenka, or at some point maybe in the second set, even if she loses the first set, turns the second set around. And then it's Sabalenka's turn to come up or adjust or modify. That's bad news for Sabalenka. You know, I, I, so first set, you know, you were asking about the first set in the previous match. I think first set is here is crucial for Sabalenka. If Serena wins the first set, I, it, it'll be very hard for her to come back. Okay. As, as we drill deeper into this match, um, you know, so you said that Sabalenka has to win with her plan A. What in Sabalenka's game, does she have to be most concerned about? Like, what's the part of the court that she needs to protect so that, you know, she she can tell Serena, hey, you can't attack me at my weakness. I'm okay there. I can then engage you on completely neutral terms, if not more favorable terms. What's the thing that it, tactically that Sabalenka has to be aware of so that if if she's able to address it, uh, Serena could be on the defensive in this matchup. Yeah, the one thing that uh, that Sabalenka has to be aware of is, uh, is is the fact that Serena may hit plenty of flat balls, forcing her to hit make contact at a low point. You know, Sabalenka is a, is a much better player when she makes contact above the hip level. You know, maybe sh maybe shoulder level. So one way to get balls that bounce higher for 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 her to hit her favorite uh, for for her to make contact at at the favorite level is 
you know, put Serena on the run so that Serena hits some defensive shots, which then bounce higher. Uh, so once again, we come back to the same thing. You know, will will Sabalenka be able to immediately put Serena on the on the defensive? So I would watch out if I'm Sabalenka. I'm not. I would watch out for low balls or balls where she has to bend down to hit uh, to to get into the rally, and I would not want to allow that. Uh, I don't know how she's going to do though to not allow that because we're talking about you know we're talking about a legend that she's playing against who can match everything that Sabalenka does. So uh, again, I'm not sure that there's an answer to. Uh, to a situation where Williams has figured out how to beat Sabalenka. Okay, Mert, we want to keep these podcasts at 20 minutes, so we're getting close to 20 minutes. Uh, just any other thoughts on the, the, the day of play coming our way at the Australian Open? Any other matches, players, plot points, storylines that you have your eyes on that you want to tell us, uh, tell our listeners about? I'd like to, uh, if the listeners... Uh have the time or can find the time, they should watch uh, Ojer Eliassim and Karatsev. If, especially if you watch Ojer Eliassim's win against Shapovalov and how well he played there, he's going to play a pl- another player uh, who's, um, you know, who, who, who can create a, plenty of power. And we'll see if Ojer Eliassim can, again, put forth a second poised, high IQ and well-planned uh, strategy onto the court and get past that round too, which would be probably one the, the biggest step in Ojeralia's team uh, career in terms of majors. Another match that I keep an eye on is Team Dimitrov. Team, uh, you know, comes off a five-setter. I'm not sure that he will feel the effects of, of, the, of, the, of that five-setter in his body because Team is in great shape, but Dimitrov is playing well, uh, so uh, that, that'll be a fascinating matchup. And a complete uh, question mark, as far as I'm concerned, is is uh, Shuyontek and Halep. You know, they, we'll, we'll see how that turns out on this on uh, at the Australian Open. It's the third time they're playing, if I'm correct, in a major, and they're one and one. Both of them came at the French, but uh, we'll see how this one goes. Well, uh, Matt, I'm curious. What do you think? What do you? Who do you think is going to win that one? Uh, I have to say it. I would lean towards Sviatek in, in that match uh, just because, you know, Halep, Halep in the face of, you know, robust opposition. I mean, sometimes, I mean, she'll, she'll always fight, you know, she'll always compete, but uh, you know, if her game is not a hundred percent there, she will get pushed. I mean, Alia Tomjanovic, she doesn't usually beat Halep, but she usually does push Halep as we saw uh, earlier in this tournament. And so Sviatek, has the game of Tom Tom Janovic plus you know more go-to shots and and resources plus the inner game and the tennis IQ the whole package yes so I, just, I just see you know if if Halep got pushed to the limit by Tom Janovic I think that Sviatek's ceiling is so high that uh, you know I go into this match thinking Sviatek has the resources to do it and and you know. It's probably going to be a three-setter, probably going to be very close the whole way, but I would lean to Sviatek at this point. Yeah, fair, fair. And then, of course, the last curiosity point uh, is how will Djokovic's uh, injury problem reflect into his match against Raonic? And once again, that's something that that's a complete question mark. We don't know, so it's hard to make any kind of, uh, you know, 
it's hard to really express any kind of thoughts on that match. I, 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 when they're both 100% physically, I actually like that match. As, as a tennis match, I think it's a good contrasting uh, style of play by two players. But uh, in this case, Novak's um, injury will... Um, first of all, we need to find out about Novak's injury. So uh, hold on that match. Yep, we don't we don't know we don't know uh, Djokovic's physical condition, so it's pointless to speculate on it. After that match runs its course, we'll then be able to make assessments of both Djokovic and Raonic. Uh, but right now, it's just we'd just be totally just throwing something against the wall, hoping it sticks, and we try not to do that here yes. at tennis with an accent. Mert Ertunga, you can find him on Twitter at Murtov's the letter T desk, Murtov's T desk. Uh, he writes at Murtov's tennis desk. His website, wonderful match analysis and breakdowns, uh, a great companion, not just for us at Tennis with an Accent, but just on tennis Twitter in general during the Australian Open fortnight and throughout the tennis season. Mert, enjoy these blockbuster WTA matches. Thanks for helping us make sense of them. Thank you, Matt.